0: you have a story to tell about a terrible medical conversation, I want to hear from you. Please email me at christine at ChristineMeyerMD.com. I can't wait for you to tell me more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tell Me More. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Meyer. On the show, we break down some of the worst conversations in healthcare. Why? Because I believe that together, we can build better ones. All right, welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us on Tell Me More. Today's guest, Kim, has a pretty incredible, disturbing, but ultimately happy story. There are so many aspects to it that I think illustrate the importance of good communication between healthcare providers and their patients. Sadly, we're going to talk about some bad (laughs) communication and how that could really lead to, you know, not just unnecessary pain and medication and anxiety, but, you know, ultimately threaten someone's life. And then we'll also end on a happy note and talk about doctors who get it right. So without any further blah, blah from me, Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here and being willing to share your story with us. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so without... Telling the whole story in one sentence because it's so important. I want to highlight every piece. So just tell me, eleven years ago, what was going on that that made you seek medical attention? Sure. so
1: I, I basically woke up one morning with a headache, and I I'm a, a very healthy person. I've had maybe at that point in my life had maybe a half a dozen headaches in my life, mostly related to college finals, but. I, it was very unlike me to have a headache. So I knew something was, was a little off. Took the, you know, traditional ibuprofen, no relief. And, you know, it, it would maybe get a little better, but the headache never actually went away for months. And
0: so you had a headache. You woke up with a headache, but you'd never had, you were not like a headachey type person, right? No, um, not at all. And so. How long did these headaches go on before you made your first call to a doctor or health care provider?
1: I would say probably four or five days after yeah. doing the home remedy of mm-hmm. you know ibuprofen tylenol increasing the dose, doing what I had heard other people do, laying in a quiet room, you know that that kind of thing and and after after a few days, I knew that something was a little little off. I had spent. Seven years of my life as a as an ambulance EMT, so I kind of was in tune with when you get help and and when you know you can <laughs> kind of go on your own. But my first call was to my primary care physician, who I had a great relationship with, loved, trusted, you know, got seen by her. Initially diagnosed with migraines, new onset adult migraines, and we started the first migraine-specific medication at that point in time. She wanted to give it a couple of weeks to see how that did for me, and then obviously reevaluate with another follow-up
0: appointment. So that initial medicine didn't do much?
1: No, if anything, it would bring the severity level down a little bit, but the headache itself never, never was gone. It was a constant aching pressure. It felt like a rubber band being squeezed around top half of my head constantly. Mm.
0: This is actually important too, because yeah, we're talking about the communication piece between patients and doctors. But I also want to very specifically talk about your medical condition, because I think a lot of people listening may have undiagnosed headaches and not think about what you ultimately had. And I don't want to give it away because I think it's just the story is so good. But So, you know, as of this moment, you've had this migraine medicine, hasn't done much. And you describe your headaches as a band around your head. So that it goes like around your whole forehead. Exactly. Um, And you were experiencing some other symptoms with the headache, right?
1: I was. I was getting a lot of dizziness and lightheadedness. I actually fell down the stairs a few times after I lost my balance.
0: Wow. Uh, I was having
1: extreme nausea along with it, not able to really keep much food down. So I was losing weight, which, you know, who doesn't want to do that, right? But not that way. Obviously not a healthy and safe right. way to do that. I had an, a newborn daughter, and wow. uh, my partner and I were very concerned that perhaps I would fall when I was carrying her. So a lot of the child care responsibilities were taken off of me, which broke my heart. But mm. for her safety, we decided, you know, until we got my my issues figured out that I wasn't gonna jeopardize my daughters, my daughter and, and risk possibly hurting her.
0: Right, so all this is happening. Migraine medicine didn't do anything. You have a primary care doctor you love who you felt heard by, advocated by, advocated for by. And, and honestly, everything you've said to this point, I'm like, yep, I'm a primary care doctor. And if you were my patient, that's exactly what I would have done. So you go back and you say, this medicine is not helping. Then what happens? not
1: working. So decided maybe try a different medication. So I had been on the first medication for about three weeks. And like I said, maybe just the severity would lessen during the day. But from the time I literally woke up, I mean, at night when I would finally fall asleep, I could tolerate sleeping to a degree, but I would still wake up in the middle of the night with the headaches maybe not as severe, but they were always there. So we tried a different medication. And she also recommended that perhaps I get an eye exam at that point in time. So I went to the ophthalmologist. They did the full exam. They didn't see anything abnormal. Tried this medication and that wasn't working. I also, at that point, decided to take it upon myself to see an acupuncturist because I had done acupuncture in the past for various things, and I thought, you know what what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to get a you know a few needles stuck in me and, and maybe this will help maybe it won't and unfortunately it didn't. So fast forward to you know the next medication and at this point, obviously then my, my primary says, this isn't working, nothing I can think of is mm-hmm. working. Let's get you to a, a neurologist. And so I was prescribed, you know, a, a follow up with a neurologist who also diagnosed me with adult onset migraine and another. How, medic- how
0: was that interaction with the first neurologist? First neurologist was
1: was good. They were trying, you know, again, a different regimen of, of medications, cocktail of medications I was doing. I also did some injections into my head, into my neck, you know, the whole nine yards and the the whole time not getting any relief and it's it's getting worse psychologically. I mean, I'm not sleeping well now, I'm still losing weight, I'm not able to care for my kids. My daughter, excuse me, and you know, it's it, it's getting extremely frustrating. She, the the first neurologist actually recommended me to a pain management specialist. So then I was going and getting those injections. I went to a massage therapist. I went to a chiropractor. None of this is helping me. And I end up in the hospital for intractable pain through the ER. I get a lumbar puncture, nothing there. They thought maybe I had a cerebral spinal fluid leak somewhere, nothing there. They're doing MRIs and CTs over the course. And this is, you know, the course of uh, months at this point. So uh, this
0: is always imaging of your brain or your head, right?
1: Yeah, they did. They did the. They did rule out that I didn't have any type of tumor or lesion in my brain at that point in time, which obviously I'm thrilled about. But we still don't have an answer. Still, right, don't have an answer. right, right. I'm, I'm still just miserable at work. I can't concentrate, and it, it got really dark. It Got very mm. dark. Like, yeah. See tell me about are, that. I mean, yeah, I. I'm not ashamed to admit because mental health is a very important aspect, especially now with COVID. And I think, you know, it's important for people to talk about mental health just like any other type of health. But I, I had suicidal ideations, the pain, the chronic pain, the dizziness. I I didn't think I could continue. And there were days. And no
0: answer and starting to feel like, well, geez, maybe this isn't, Maybe this isn't my head. Maybe this isn't right. like a thing. Right. So you start to doubt your own I'm symptoms.
1: I'm doubting everything at this point mm. in time. And I am a mess.
0: I mean, mm-hmm.
1: not sleeping, not eating, you know, a, a zombie, constant pain. I would, you know, go to work. I would have, I, I worked in an office by myself at that point in time. I would turn the lights off during the day if I wasn't seeing the client. Uh, you know, I would lay down on the floor. I mean, it was, it was no way to live. It was, it was a miserable existence. And there were times. So how that-
0: many months from when you first made the call to your primary to when you ended up in the ER, how much time had passed?
1: Uh, I would think about four, about four months at this point in time.
0: So I go to the, so-
1: yeah, I go to the ER and lumbar puncture, nothing. They admit me for pain control. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so you get admitted. This is the first time you've actually been an inpatient in the hospital. Correct. And in that admission you meet a second neurologist, is that right?
1: That is. So this was the hospital neurologist who's rounding on yep. mm-hmm. patients. And she comes in and you know, of course reads through my chart, sees I've been on 20 different medicate literally 23 different medications at this point is you know the brain scan is negative the spinal tap is negative the this is negative the that is negative and we didn't have a very good <laughs> very good interaction at that point in time she she looked at me and asked me outright if i was faking this for attention mm. and anybody who knows me knows that that's not in the least who i am and i i lost my patience obviously and, and kicked her out of my room
0: mm-hmm. over never to come
1: back. And prior to this, actually, I had asked her if there was a way that we could get a CT scan of my entire upper body mm-hmm. just to make sure. And she told me that she was a doctor and that she would make the decision on what scan I needed and that I was the patient and I just needed to, to listen to what she said. And then that's when wow. asked if I was faking this.
0: Mm. So... I'm putting my doctor hat back on. It sucks because we do stigmatize patients totally, right? And in the course of my career, I have definitely been in a position to be like, well, geez, I'm not going to be the doctor that figures this out, right? Like five doctors before me have not helped this lady. They've done everything I would do. But, you know, in the back of my head, like just between you and I, maybe not everything, but like sort of most everything, right? Right. But there's no way, even if all this is going on in the back of my brain, that I would look at a patient and have the balls to literally say to them, are you faking? Like, I can't imagine that. So she had so much confidence that there was nothing wrong with it. She flat out said that. Yeah. And she obviously got herself kicked off your case. But how did that make you feel like after that interaction, were you like more determined than ever to figure it out or were you more defeated than ever?
1: Initially, I was extremely defeated. I mean, I I can remember sitting in that hospital room and, and doubting myself and thinking, oh my God, what have I lost? Is there something going on in my brain that I have lost my mind? Like, could she be right? And then I'm, you know, I'm like, absolutely not. She, she's absolutely not right. I mean, I'm the patient. I know what I've been through. I know all of the offices I have visited. I don't have headaches. Why why won't she believe me? I trust her as a doctor with, a, with her white coat. I trust her. And at that point in time, I was extremely defeated. But then something switched to me. And I said, this is ridiculous. There's no way I'm going to get to the bottom of this if it kills me. So
0: you had a you had a moment in that hospitalization. You had a moment where you are not proud. You lost your patients. You kicked this. You actually tried to chuck a remote at this doctor, but it was tethered to the bed. I think not that proud, is so yeah. funny. I, that is so funny. I mean, I think that we, I think that all patients who are frustrated should be given a soft Nerf ball on a tether <laughs> to throw at any doctor that just acts ridiculous. So there's no harm or injury done, but you get to bend a little bit. Right. So, but that that moment, like it could have gone a number of ways. You could have just fell deeper into this dark hole that you had already been digging, or you could have just been like, "Hell no!" Like I have a daughter, I have a life. Like this is not going to continue. And that's where you ended up, right? You're like, "No." Right. Something yep. at this moment's going to change. So then, what did you do? Did you actually ask your hospital team to send in a new neurologist? How did that work?
1: Yeah. So the the next day, the next day, I was being rounded on again. Here I am on pain meds and whatnot, and a new neurologist comes in, and I thought, "Oh, great, here we go again. Let's see what this because this is
0: number three, right? This is your this third neurologist,
1: th- third neurologist. Yep, and." He comes in and, you know, looks at my case and sits down with me and, and starts asking me questions and, and listening to me. So uh, he
0: sat down. Can we pause there for a second? Yes. About the importance of that tiny little thing. So when a doctor is standing in your hospital room or even in an exam room in an office and they're standing and their arms are folded and they're kind of like, Inching their way back towards the door, that's not giving you. <laughs> that's not giving you confidence that they're totally, totally bought into what you're saying. They're like Absolutely not. They've got the one door. foot out the door. Yep. <laughs> but this doctor, like, obviously, it's busy. It's a hospital. He's like, no, I need Holds to dial stool. in here.
1: Yeah. Nice. Chair, sits down. Love face that. to face with me. And-, and what?
0: What kind of questions did he ask you? That were there questions that you hadn't been asked before?
1: There were a few questions that he had asked me, for example, what I was doing, the months leading up to the onset of the headaches. Had I been in a car accident? Had I been, you know, bumped or or jostled or anything of that nature? And it turns out that I was playing in an adult soccer league. Didn't think anything of it at the time. And, you know, I told him that. I said, well, you know, I, I play soccer. And he kind of sat and scratched his head and he said, do you ever head the ball? And I said, a couple times, I try not to, (laughs) but, you know, I, I have in the past. And then he said, have you ever had a neck MRI? And I started crying because at that point I had already asked the other practitioners, should I be getting a neck MRI? Could this have anything to do with my neck? And everybody said, no, no, no. This is your head. This is migraines. And he said, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? You have a, a copay for a, an MRI and you know, if it doesn't show anything, it doesn't show anything. Within an hour, I'm on the table getting an MRI. Within two hours, he's back at my bedside. I have C456 displacement. And he said, I think this is the cause of your headaches.
0: Wow. So pause. Okay. So you. Because you had said to the first, well, the second neurologist, the first neurologist in the hospital, you had said, can I please have a, you didn't say neck MRI per se, or maybe you did, but you basically indicated like from my head on down, you literally said like, could there be something in this upper body region? Mm -hmm. And she said, absolutely not. And to be fair to, you know, other doctors, like, were you, did you ever complain of neck pain? No, in this whole thing didn't. you didn't no. have any neck pain. I didn't pain. have neck
1: pain. No.
0: Oh my god. And no what neck- about like like numbness or tingling in your arms, weakness, nothing.
1: No, other I mean other than just being weak from, you know, not sleeping, not eating and and dizzy, but I had no other weakness, no other neurological symptoms that would have indicated something. So yes, wow. I, I guess it was fair for that for them not to to think of that. But at that point, after you know five months now,
0: right, we'll exactly. different medications, <laughs> exactly, we're
1: going to throw the book at you, and whatever yes,
0: sticks, that's right. We miss
1: it, we miss it, but maybe we'll catch something, kind of thing,
0: right? Because you know, I always think this to myself when I'm, you know, trying to run through what could possibly be going on with a patient. Like, not every patient reads the medical textbook chapter, you know, on C five C six displacement, right? And goes, this is what you're supposed to have. And this is what I'm going to present with. You know, patients present with things in all kinds of weird ways. And we have to, you know, think outside the box sometimes. I just want to ask you about exams, Kim. So tell me about that. Just tell me how doctors were performing exams on you as they were evaluating you for these headaches.
1: Yeah, I don't know the technical word for it but you know they would do my line of vision they would do Mm -hmm. my reactions they would do the reflex tests we would do covering the eyes they would you know do the pupil exam to see if my pupils were equal and reactive they were doing you know pressure touching you know that kind of thing
0: Did, did the newest neurologist the one who ultimately ordered the mri Did he do anything different on the exam or detect anything different besides just his history taking that led him to believe this may have something to do with your neck?
1: No, nothing Nothing that jumped out at me at that time of anything different than anybody else had done.
0: Wow. All right. So pause again. (laughs) So we think like you're supposed to tell a very specific story if you have a displaced C-spine, right? You tell a very specific story, but also there should be some very specific findings on your exam. You are supposed to have, you know, a limited range of motion. You're supposed to have, you know, a diminished or a hyperactive reflex. You're supposed to have some changes in your grip strength, like all those things. But nope, you didn't read that part of the textbook either. So this doctor, this neurologist is hanging on to A tiny little piece of a huge history, that piece being you play soccer and sometimes you head the ball, right? Yeah. Of everything that's happened, that's the piece. That's the piece. Wow. So then you get the MRI. He comes to you and says, you have this in your neck. And at that point, is he like 100% sure this is causing your headaches?
1: I would say he was 99.99. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he was, yeah. He was there and, and he, he made it very clear to me as everybody, you know, would, would imagine this is your option. Let's, let's look at surgery. And if it's not when I get in there and that's not something, you know, I, I'm not guaranteeing that this is not a promise that this is going to resolve your headaches, but you don't have anything to lose at this point. And, and I had shared with him you know, during the course of the interview, how how I had felt mentally, how I had been made to feel by the previous doctors, how I had taken, you know, all sorts of medications and tried everything and and mentally how I was. I was, I was feeling so low. I didn't think that there was a way I could go on. And so he said at that point, you know, are you willing to try? And at that, I mean, why not? You You had nothing to
0: lose at that point. Nothing to
1: lose.
0: So was was this a general neurologist or was this actually a neurosurgeon?
1: He was actually a neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. Mm,
0: Okay. That's interesting because we just had another conversation about neurosurgeons on another episode. So the doctor that ultimately ordered the MRI, he was a neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeon. He's the guy who pulled up the stool and sat down and talked to you. Yeah. I think that warrants a tiny sentence or two also, because we've been talking a lot about bedside manner and about how some specialists just bedside manners not what makes them great at what they do. And neurosurgeons can be doctors that don't have great bedside manners, but that was not your experience <laughs> at all.
1: Right. Right. Not at all. I know because like I said, when he first walked in, I thought, Oh, great. You know, what's this guy going to do kind of thing after mm. my previous day of remote control chucking at the other neurologist.
0: (laughs) So he's also the one that does your surgery.
1: Correct. Yep.
0: So tell me about that.
1: So surgery was scheduled for, you know, about a week out. Um, So I'm still dealing, you know, another, and I thought, okay, there's a light at the end of this tunnel. I'm going to get through this. Being so optimistic, you know, and, and my friends and family were like, you know, this is great. This, this could be it. But don't put all your eggs in that basket, you know, let's let's be realistic and and whatnot. And so I went in for my surgery. What did you
0: think? What were your expectations? Were you like, okay, there's a fifty-fifty shot? Were you like, yeah. I know this is gonna be better? How confident were you?
1: I'm kind of a fifty-fifty thought uh, at this point in time. I was I remember waking up that morning and having a panic attack and thinking. If this doesn't do it, what next? And then, of course, your mind kind of starts playing. This is my first neck surgery. You know, did he have a good sleep? Is he on his game? What happens Mm -hmm. if he makes a mistake and I'm paralyzed? What have I done? You know, I mean, your mind goes everywhere, right? When You have a major surgery scheduled. Got to the hospital and get all prepped. And even right until they, they put the mask on to start counting backwards, I'm like, am I making the right decision? Wow! Should I should I just continue to live with this for as long as I can? What What do I do? You know, and then sleepy time. (laughs) I'm out. I think I made it to you know counting backwards from ten. I think I made it to nine. Oh wow! (laughs) I'm
0: out. (laughs) So, do you remember waking up from the surgery?
1: I do. I remember waking up from the surgery and laying there looking at the lights above me in the recovery room and thinking something doesn't feel right. What's going on? And you know, you're you're still real groggy from anesthesia and I'm trying kind to of focus and I'm like, Oh my God, I don't have pain. I have no pain. And then of course I'm thinking, well, that's because you're still under anesthesia, stupid. You know, your your body is still processing Of course you don't have pain, don't you know? And so obviously as time goes on and the anesthesia is going through and, and, and purging through, it's becoming more and more clear to me that the pain is gone. And they take me up to the room, you know, the after post post-op recovery, I'm up in a, up in a room and a few hours has gone by and, and this doctor comes in to see me. And he said, how do you feel? And I started crying, ugly cry, <laughs> 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 because I realized for the first time in almost six months that I don't have a headache. Wow. And it was an experience I, I a really can't put words to that I was finally pain-free and Mm. the relief the overwhelming relief psychologically and physically was something I I can't even explain just Mm. how amazing and you know he wrote me a prescription for to continue on on pain meds I said I don't want any I want (laughs) to see how we do here and you know they kept me for a couple days obviously to observe me make sure I'm in a you know, see spine collar, and I get discharged, and still no headache.
0: Wow. You know, I, I just
1: kept waiting for the other. What's this, the saying? The other shoe to, to drop, and I'm like, when's it going to come back? You know, just constantly waiting. Like, is it going to come back? And no headache, and I get discharged home, no headache, and for the first wow. time in months, I'm able to hold my daughter, and you know, Aww. do that kind of thing that I've been missing out on, and it's just amazing. Amazing feeling.
0: This could be where we end your story, Kim. I think that's I mean, it's just a beautiful story. I actually teared up a little bit hearing hearing your reaction when you woke up because we've all been in that place where we think something's never gonna change and then it does, and you're like, Oh my god, thank God for this person that basically saved my life. But I don't want to end there. I want you to tell us about your run in at the elevator.
1: Yeah. So post-op, I'm scheduled to go see the surgeon, and I'm walking into the hospital, getting ready to go up to, you know, the the office space to see him, and I'm getting onto the elevator, and who comes onto the elevator, but neurologist number two, the one who I had had my little situation with. <laughs> and here I am in my C-collar, and, and she looks at me and kind of, you know, gives me a I know you kind of look, I thought, you know, I can, I can sit here and be silent or I can do something and I'm going to do something. And I said, do you remember me? And she kind of looked at me and then it kind of clicked on her who I was. And I said, you remember, I asked you for a a C spine MRI or a, a scan of my neck. And she said, yeah, you didn't need one. I said, really? I said, well, Dr. X, that wasn't obviously his real name, but he disagreed. And turns out I had D4 through 6 compression, which was impacting my spinal cord. I had surgery a week ago. I haven't had a headache since. And he looked at me just completely taken aback, like, holy crap, you know, (laughs) wow. And I said, thanks to him, he saved my life. I wish I could say the same for you. And I got off the elevator turned and looked at her, said goodbye, and I walked up. I think it was four flights of stairs, mostly just to kind of calm down because at that point I was a little jittery from from that exchange. But uh, I walked up, and I walked into his office, and as soon as I got taken back and he came into the room, I gave him a huge hug, cried, told him how he had saved my life and that I was indebted to him forever.
0: Wow. Oh my God. I, what an amazing story, Kim. Unbelievable. So there's so many take-home lessons here for both patients and doctors. I want to start with the patients though. So what would you tell a patient who, you know, has a problem and has kind of done the, the right thing, been to their primary, been to a specialist, been to a second specialist and has diagnoses but is not improving. What what would you say to that patient? I think the the first thing we need to
1: realize is that doctors are human and like you alluded to earlier it might not be in the textbook. There might be a chapter that maybe you know you you went to med school and maybe maybe you slept in a little bit that morning and missed <laughs> part of part of something just you know a symptom course or something. I think one of the big things is Yes, definitely trust your primary care physician, but you are not going to hurt their feelings if you ask for a second opinion. And if they don't have the answer, then you find out who does have the answer. And any good physician will not be offended. They will not be taking this personally like, well, you should trust me. I'm your doctor. Everybody is in this together. We're all a team for our health care, and, and you need to advocate for yourself Don't be afraid to ask for a second, a third opinion. Don't be afraid to go outside the norm. I mean, hello, we have the internet, half the people, you know, so many people in this world diagnose themselves and go into the doctor and already have their diagnoses and and tell Mm -hmm. you what they have before you've heard your And I'm not saying that that's what you need to do, but you can do some research on your own and advocate and talk to friends and family and see if anybody else has experienced this. But you know, your your primary care is there for a reason, and they should not be ashamed to say, "I don't know the answer." You know what? Well, we're going to find this out together. Let's work together. And you know, if I had given up after the second neurologist and and laid there in the in the bed thinking, "Wow, I, I'm losing my mind. I what is? Maybe she's right. I'm not sure I'd
0: be here today." Wow. Oh my goodness. So, well, I'm so glad that you are here because I think your story can save so many people. And then what about specifically to doctors? Let's talk about three different doctors in your story. Let's talk about your primary care doctor, the doctor who dismissed you, and then the doctor who saved you. So if you could speak to a doctor from each one of those categories what would you say so what would you say to a primary care doctor who's talking to a patient that trusts them deeply but isn't doing well on their treatment plan
1: yeah i think it i think it's really important to be open and honest and you know not not sugarcoat anything and you deserve to be heard like you'd said earlier having a doctor who sits down and listens to you who doesn't have one foot out the door who is going to take the time to dig a little deeper than just the, you know, subjective, objective, Mm -hmm. you know, ask the questions outside the box and not be afraid to reach, you know, reach out to their colleagues across specialties and and ask for input. I mean, I work in, in cancer research and they do tumor boards where they bring, you know, a whole consortium of Radiation and the you know surgeons and the the dietitians and everybody and everybody brainstorms and I think that that's an important thing for primary care physicians to be willing to to realize you know maybe this is outside my specialty but I'm gonna I'm gonna find a colleague who who's gonna help you yeah create
0: that that team and then what about uh, I don't I don't know like how how to even say this but what about the doctor who got it. Got it so terribly wrong. So, what would you say to a doctor who's like so confident slash arrogant that they just patient doesn't know? I know. How could you advise a doctor like that to do better? Besides saying, do better.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's such a tricky line, right? Because we hold doctors in such a high, you know, high high level at least. No, I do. I mean you you went to school and you know, you I, I trust you, you're an expert in your field and I think we can get a little nervous thinking that you aren't human, right? I mean so many doctors have experienced in my life have the God complex, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just it's frustrating to have lived through that. I I hope that my conversation with her in the elevator taught her a lesson on how to better listen to her patients and not have that God complex.
0: Yeah. You know, (laughs) I, I know that. So in my years of practice, the things that have caused me to change how I do things, my approach have always been the negative outcomes, the negative feedback, you know, when a patient looks you in the eye and tells you, you did me wrong. You, your XYZ decision cost me, whether it's my time, my health, my quality of life, whatever it is. There is nothing more powerful than that. So. I think that's a critical piece for patients. As much as I hate to hear negative feedback, I, I literally hate it. Like it, it gives me nervous diarrhea. That's the honest to God truth. But it, you know, as much as we hate to hear it, we have to hear it. So I think you're so right. I think don't shy away from that confrontation. You know, it's so easy for patients to say that doctor sucked. They'll either go away, never call them again, or they'll go on Google, leave a bad review. But it's really hard to confront that doctor. And it, it is the confrontation that makes us do better. And, mm. and that's the truth. I mean, you know, doctors listening to this may be like, she does not know what she's talking about. That does not change how I practice at all. I practice by guidelines, blah, blah, blah. But that's BS. When a patient looks you in the eye and says, you did me wrong, that is the most impactful thing in the world. So I love that you did that. I'm sorry that you did that. Confrontation sucks, especially in an elevator when you can't escape. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, yeah. but that is
0: that is everything. And then what about the the doctor that ultimately saved you, the doctor that sat on the stool, asked you about soccer, and did your surgery? What would you say to that doctor? I love you. <laughs>
1: thank you. Thank you. I mean, thank you for listening. Thank you for not discounting me. Thank you for giving me options. Thank you for thinking outside the box. Again, I mean, if it wasn't for him, I don't know where the story would have gone. You know, for the first five years after my surgery, I sent him a thank you card on the anniversary wow. of my surgery date. Um, wow. And, you know, I just, uh he, he did, he saved my life. And thank you doesn't cover the fact that he, he sat down and looked at me eye level and listened, and wasn't just making his five-minute round and you know, copying and pasting the note from the previous neurologist. Oh my, neurologist God. PR, <laughs> oh my <God>. right?
0: <laughs> Wow, so perfectly said. Yeah, and you know, we all want to be that doctor. We want to be the doctor that gets a thank you note for the first five years after whatever. We we don't want to be the doctor. Getting berated in the elevator. I mean, who does? And it's only through stories like yours that we doctors can become those doctors that are opening the thank you card and not getting beaten up in the elevator. So just to recap, Kim, I mean, I think first of all, patients know their bodies, right? So when you're a person and you go to bed and you wake up with something that you didn't have the day before, there's something wrong, right? And then second lesson is, yeah, start with your primary care doctor who is should be your greatest advocate. And you know you have the right primary care doctor when they know when to say, I don't know, and I'm going to gather around a team to help us get it right. And then know when, despite all these best efforts, things aren't going right and you have to ask, for yourself. You have to advocate for yourself and say, Hey, I think I should have this test and then know when to chuck the tethered remote (laughs) figuratively, not literally at the wrong person. Uh But then also, you know, just knowing when to put your life literally in the hands of the doctor you trust, because you didn't have to have that surgery. You have been so burned by the process so far that, you know, it wouldn't be unreasonable for you to go, why should I trust this doctor? You know, but you did. And ultimately, your trust in that doctor is what changed your life. So, you know, sometimes we have to put behind us the negative experiences to make room for a level of trust that's necessary to get better. Those are all just. So important lessons that so many people could take from your story. Are there any kind of final thoughts, leaving words that you want to end and leave our audience with?
1: You know, I I think you've hit hit it all. You have to listen to your body. You know your body best. You have to advocate for yourself and you have to make sure that you have the right team in place. And that starts with primary care.
0: I love that. Thank you so much, Kim. I mean, I certainly have learned so many lessons from your story as a primary care doctor and as a doctor who never wants to be on the receiving end of a remote control (laughs) in the elevator. I I promise if I I see you at the office, I won't throw anything at you. (laughs) I appreciate your time so much. For everybody listening, Kim's story really can be true. I know we talked about headaches and, and the cervical spine, but this really could be applied to so many different problems and diagnoses and specialists. So take a look at your team and make sure that you are being heard, if not advocate for yourself. And as always, if you have a story that you think would help us better understand the conversations we have, with our doctors and our patients, please reach out to me. I want to hear your story. Kim, again, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. I hope that we can reconnect sometime and just kind of catch up on how you're doing. Thanks, everybody. And I will catch you on the next episode of Tell Me More. Thank you so much for listening. Are you ready to join our conversation? Just go to Facebook and search Christine Meyer MD. Follow us to join 14,000 other people committed to creating better conversations in healthcare.